Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22. And uh, we are going through the book of Isaiah. I've told some of my preaching buddies what I'm doing. They said, how in the world are you going to preach all the way through Isaiah in one year? I said, I didn't say I was going to preach all the way. I said, I'm just going to preach through it, all right? And we'll touch it as we go. Today, we're going to examine one of my favorite verses, another one of my favorite verses, and it's Isaiah 33, verse 22. When I was growing up at First Baptist Dyersburg, our minister of music was the father of one of our choir members that just sang up there, Gwen Hodges, and she was Gwen Crawley, as I knew her, coming up in Dyersburg, and her daddy was our minister of music, Ed Crawley. And he would lead us in, uh, we've talked about the hymn sing, and I sure hope that you'll go get your tickets for that. I'm not, I don't get any money out of that. Bellevue doesn't get any money out of that. But we're so glad to have these guys come in. They're coming in from all over the place, and that's Thursday. This is not even in my notes. How about that? Uh, it is Thursday, and uh, I hope that you'll get your tickets out in the West Lobby uh, there at the counter this Thursday night. But we sang all the hymns out of the old Baptist hymnal. I've got Baptist hymnals back there, and I, I can't read the notes, but I know them, all right, because I grew up on them. And we, I noticed we sang a lot of songs that had the, the phrase, the Lord, the Lord. And I can remember at First Baptist Dyersburg, they had this introductory song, a call to worship is what they referred to it as, and it was based on Habakkuk 2.20, which says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Keep silent, keep silent before him. They sang it a lot slower than that. But I can remember hearing that song and thinking, I think God just walked in the room. The Lord just walked in. And I can remember singing other songs congregationally. Fairest Lord Jesus. Lord, send a revival. Have thine own way, Lord. Lord, I'm coming home. And I learned early on as a child that whatever Christianity is about, it has to do with the Lord. And that's what we're going to look at today. In the Old Testament, there are two Hebrew words translated Lord, Adonai and Yahweh, which we kind of change it a little bit when you say Jehovah. Adonai means master a position of authority, someone in that position. And it also refers to God. But then Yahweh, or Jehovah, was always expressly spoken about the God of the Hebrews. It's mentioned 6,828 times in the Old Testament, Yahweh, Jehovah is. It's God's chosen name for himself, as he ruled his covenant people, the sons of Israel, the Jews. And it's very interesting, when the Jews would spell that name, they would leave out the vowels and just put 
four letters in there because they said it's not appropriate to speak the holy name of God. We could use some of that reverence nowadays, right? You know, nowadays people say, oh, Lord. And they don't even think, they're not thinking about the Lord. They're just talking. You don't need to take the Lord's name in vain. And we need to think about that. But in the New Testament, there's only one word for Lord, and that is kurios. Kurios. It could be the master of a servant, a human being, or it could be the Lord, Jesus Christ. And so that's what I want to talk to you today about. That is, who is the Lord? Isaiah 33, 22 will become a good friend of yours, all right? I'm just introducing you to a lot of my friends out of Isaiah. And uh, I want us to read it together. This is it. You say, how can you get a sermon out of two and a half sentences? Oh, look at me. It may not be long, but it's deep, all right? Let's look at it. Let's read it together. Would you read it with me, please? For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Leave that up there just for a moment. You say, why is the word Lord capitalized? Because that's where they would have those four letters. Whenever they did that, you know they're talking about Jehovah, Yahweh. If you have a New American Standard Bible, that's the way it translates it, and that's the way it, it transcribes it. So let's talk about the Lord. Who is the Lord? Number one, I want to tell you something too. Put that back up there just for a second. This verse is a preacher's dream. You talk about an outline, it is built in, amen? You can pretty much see the outline right there. Let's go with the first part. The Lord is the judge who evaluates you. He is the judge who evaluates you. Notice the first part of the verse. For the Lord is our judge. Isaiah told the people of Judah that Jehovah was their judge. He was constantly watching over them, evaluating them. He was the one to whom they would give an account. He would evaluate them both on earth and then in eternity as well. At the time that this was written, most of the people of Judah were not living for the Lord. They were wicked. They were spoiled. They had everything they needed. They didn't need God. They were idolatrous. They'd engaged in worshiping pagan gods with a small g. Baal, for instance. Canaanite fertility god. He was the chief god of all the Canaanites. He was the one that, if you'll remember back in 1 Kings 18, that Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal. And the Bible says that they were terrible in the way they worshiped. Jeremiah condemned them three times for offering and sacrificing their little children to Baal. Read, I'll just read one of the verses, Jeremiah 19, 5. They have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, a thing which I never commanded or spoke of, nor did it ever enter my mind. Leave that verse up there just for a second. By the way, there are people that say to you, everything that happens is the will of God. Wrong. Look at the last part. A thing which I, read it with me, a thing which I never commanded or spoke of, nor did it enter my mind. Killing babies is not the will 
of God, even in abortion today in our nation. It is wrong. It is wrong. And then there was Asherah, Canaanite goddess, the queen mother of 70 other pagan deities. It was a hideous, vulgar Asherah pole. Read about him in Deuteronomy 16 where he says, you shall not plant for yourself an Asherah of any kind of tree or of any kind of tree beside the altar of the Lord your God, which you shall make for yourself. You shall not set up for yourself a sacred pillar, which the Lord your God hates. Then there was Chemosh, the Moabite pagan deity. You can read about all these next three in 2 Kings 23. Milcom, the Ammonite pagan deity. And another pagan deity of the Ammonites that was a lot like Baal, Molech. And there is a picture that you see them sacrificing babies to Molech. We read about it in Leviticus 18, 21. Don't permit any of your children to be sacrificed, offered as a sacrifice to Molech, for you must not bring shame on the name of your God. And he says, I am what? The Lord. Thus, in our text, Isaiah said to the people of Judah, for the Lord is your judge. He's warning them they needed to repent. They needed to live lives of righteousness and to act like the people of God. The judge of Judah was watching and evaluating them. You say, well, I don't, you know, God may have been a, a God of judgment in the Old Testament, but we live in a day of grace and God never judges anybody nowadays. Have you not read Acts chapter five about Ananias and Sapphira? I want to tell you something. You know what? God judged, God killed them because they lied. Now, what if God killed every Christian in this room that has lied in the last two weeks? I wouldn't be preaching to anybody. As everybody in here has embellished the truth, if that's what you want to call it, in some way. Maybe there'd be two of you here. I don't know which ones. But the Bible says that Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of land just like Barnabas had done and gave the money to the church to help the poor. But what happened is they sold the land and then they got a certain amount, but they kept some for themselves, but told the apostles that they were giving all of the proceeds. They lied about it. Peter said, uh, hey, uh, Ananias, is this what you paid for? Yep. He said, well, you're dead, and he died. <laughs> then he, wife came a few hours later and said, is this what you pay for? Yeah, and he said, you're gonna go be with your husband. Where's he? In the graveyard. And this is the only way we know, I guess, that we're supposed to be buried beside each other. I don't know. <laughs> but it says they got buried next to his, her husband. I wanna say this to you. God is a holy God. And God is not only our Father, God is our judge. The same Lord is the judge who evaluates you today. He's watching you, He loves you. But you don't do one thing that He doesn't know about. You don't say one. Well, look at me. You can't even. Think without him knowing everything that's in your mind. 
Hebrews 4.13 is a daunting challenge. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. He is the one to whom we are all accountable. Why? He's the Lord. He is the Lord, our judge, who evaluates us. And on the day you die, you're going to stand before God. Even if you're a Christian, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we, so Paul included himself in this, and he was saved when he said this, we must all appear for the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. This is not whether or not you get into heaven or not, but it is determining on on what you've done since you got saved, the kind of rewards you get in heaven. Everybody's not going to get the same rewards. Now, we're all going to get heaven. I was telling this one day, and I had a deacon come up, not here in another church. He said, I just want to get in. <laughs> I just want to get in. I'm not worried about the rewards. I just want to get in. Well, I want to say this to you. If Jesus Christ is your Lord, you will get in but you're gonna stand before him and answer for every word you've spoken, every thought you've entertained, every deed that you've done. You're gonna to have to look at Jesus in the eye and own it. He's your Lord. He's your judge who evaluates you. But then secondly, the Lord is the lawgiver who instructs you. The lawgiver who instructs you. As we continue in the verse, the Lord is our lawgiver. Can we say that together, please? The Lord is our lawgiver. Isaiah told the people of Judah that God had given them his laws to teach them his superior will and his superior ways. God was their lawgiver. And God's laws and his ways have always been superior to man's laws and man's ways. Isaiah, we'll see this later on. In fact, I'll preach out of this text in the days to come. Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. Look at it on the screen. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Now, and just think about what he just said. There's a time. You, there's a timing to your walk with God. Did you know that? Seek the Lord while he may be found. In other words, while there's still hope, while there's still time for repentance, seek the Lord while he may be found before he decides to bring judgment. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And then he goes on, he said, for as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I mean, just consider the thoughts of God in the Ten Commandments. That's the core of God's laws. And they taught his people how to relate both to God and men. The first four commandments are about God. Listen to them. No other gods before me, God says. No graven images. Secondly, number three, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. The last six are relating to how we relate to people. And what did Jesus say when he was asked, what are the greatest commandments? Love God, love 
people. That's exactly the way the 10 commandments are set up. The first four tell you how to love God. The last six tell you how to love man. I guess that's because man's a little harder to love than God. Honor your father and mother. That's number five. Number six, don't murder. Number seven, don't commit adultery. Number eight, don't steal. Number nine, don't bear false witness. Number 10, don't covet your neighbor's possessions. Judah received its laws from the Lord, not from the sinful leaders, not from the sinful world around them. Isaiah said, the Lord is our lawgiver. Did you know that God's laws always work even if they are put to use in a secular society? Did you know that? One of the guys that I've appreciated through the years when it comes to Christian finances is a guy named Ron Blue. And uh, that little book right there is one of the finest books you'll ever get on how to obey the Lord with your finances as a Christian. And years ago, I've met him a few times. Nice guy. He is a Christian financial expert and he appeared before a committee of senators in Washington, D.C. And they asked him, what economic advice do you have for the American family? He gave four suggestions, all based on scripture. Spend less than you earn. Not an amen in the bunch. <laughs> Avoid debt and credit. Build liquidity, that's a, that's a fancy word for cash. I can remember one time we were buying tires for a church van and I looked up on the wall and the sign said, 90 days, same as cash. I said, 90, is 90 days same as cash? He said, son, I was young back then. He said, son, ain't nothing same as cash. So build liquidity, cash, set goals for the future. Spend less than you earn, avoid debt and credit whenever possible, build liquidity or cash, and set goals for the future. And one senator, after he wrote that down, he said, well, you know what? That, uh, that would work regardless of a person's income. And Ron Blue said, yeah, and it would work for our nation too if y'all would do it. Now, he didn't say y'all, that's me, all right? The lawgiver who instructs us is the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows that all human beings need law and order. Did you know that the scripture is perfect? The psalmist said in Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Can we just say that together? The law of the Lord is perfect. Now listen to what, listen to what the law does. God's our lawgiver. It restores the soul, the testimony, that's the law, of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. Next, okay. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are much, they are more desirable than gold, yes, than much 
fine gold, and I love this last part, sweeter also than honey. And the dripping of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. The Lord wants to instruct you in his ways, that is, in his laws. Do you need instruction for your family? Look to the Lord. I can give you a panoramic statement for how a family ought to be run. It's in Colossians, four little bitty verses. Colossians 3, 18 through 21. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, don't exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. You do that. You'll have a godly family. Do you need direction with your finances? Look to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll have Always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others if you'll just do it God's way. Do you need guidance for your future? Psalm 32, verse 8. I read this this week in my quiet time. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye upon you. I've prayed that verse so many times. I need the direction of God, don't you? Whatever you need, the Lord is your lawgiver who will instruct you. Number three, the Lord is the king who governs you. He's the king who governs you. Now look at our verse, Isaiah 33, verse 22. The Lord is our king. Isaiah told Judah that the Lord was their king. Isaiah would preach and prophesy under really five, but he would be killed by the fifth one. But for the first four that were peaceful to him, Uzziah and Isaiah, Isaiah was born somewhere along the way because Uzziah was the king in Israel longer than anybody, over 50 years. And then his son Jotham, and then his son Ahaz, and then his son Hezekiah. And then Hezekiah, who was a righteous man, had the worst king ever as a son, King Manasseh, who had Isaiah sawn in two. He didn't want the preacher around him. He shed more blood than sin more in Jerusalem. He's the reason that God said, okay, I'm through with Jerusalem. I'm, I'm letting the Babylonians come in because of Manasseh. But Isaiah was saying, these guys are the king, but the real king is the Lord. The real king is the Lord. These are just earthly rulers. Do you remember how he knew that. Do you remember the first sermon that I shared with you? Not, one, not the first one, but a recent sermon out of Isaiah 6. In a miraculous vision, right after King Uzziah died, I always like to think about this. The earthly throne was empty. So God said, uh, even though your king is gone, your real king is not gone. He saw a vision. Of God on his throne. Isaiah 6, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty, exalted, the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him. Those are angels. Having, each having six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called out to another. This is an antiphonal worship here. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. 
The whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. We were singing that song a while ago. Holy, holy, holy Lord. They're singing that kind of song in heaven. And I want to tell you, when they do, people are just falling down, not because they're tripping, but because they're in the presence of the glorious heavenly God who is seated upon his throne. Oh, Jehovah was the true eternal king who governed Judah. And Christian, the Lord is the one who's supposed to be governing you. He rules over you. He governs you. He owns you. Uh, to be sure, we have civil authorities and we ought to respect them. I want to encourage you. If the person you voted for doesn't get in, or get, doesn't get in office and somebody you didn't vote for gets in office, you'd be a lot better off to pray for them instead of just constantly talking bad about them. Respect the position. That goes for Democrats or Republicans. Who would want to be the President of the United States? Who in his right, I won't say that, almost said it, I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I mean, it doesn't matter what you do. You're gonna have half the nation mad at you. And you ought to respect those people let everyone, Romans 13, 1 and 2, be subject to the governing authorities. This is in the Bible. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against that authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And we should pray for them. All people who are in authority, especially the people who are kings or leaders, 1 Timothy 2. First of all, then I urge that entreaties, prayers, petitions, thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. You say, but Brother Steve, what if they pass ungodly laws? I'm getting to that. As a Christian... You are to pray for those who are in office. You are to respect the office. But you have a higher allegiance to the kingdom of God than you do to the nation in which you live. If the nation where you live creates laws that contradict the teachings of Scripture, you must obey God rather than man. Regardless of who's president, senator, governor, mayor, Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. The Bible says that the Lord is the king of glory. Psalm 24, verse 8. The Lord is the king of the nations, Jeremiah 10, verse 7. And the Lord is king of kings and Lord of lords, Revelation 19, 16. Crown him with many crowns. The lamb upon his throne, hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Oh, rejoice today. The Lord is our king. I heard a preacher say when I was in college, you can't elect him and you can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. He's on his throne. 
He is the king who governs us. Who is the Lord? He's the judge who evaluates us. He's the lawgiver who instructs us. He's the king who governs us. But praise God, he is the savior who redeems us. Let's look at the whole verse again. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Isaiah told Judah, the sinful citizens of Judah, that the Lord was their only savior. He was the only one who could forgive their sins. He was the only one who could redeem them from being lost. They could pray and they could dance all they wanted to and even sacrifice their children to Baal. But Baal couldn't forgive their sin. They could bow down to those ungodly, immoral Asherah poles, but Asherah poles couldn't forgive their sins. They could offer their babies to Molech, but Molech couldn't cleanse their sins. There was only one that could do that. They couldn't get their sins cleansed by giving gold and silver to pagan deities. Their problems were spiritual. They were not financial. At this time, they were, they were making, they were, well, they were, had all the money they needed and they turned away from God. They needed their maker more than their money. They needed God's word more than their wealth. And that's why the Lord said, I'm your judge, I'm your lawgiver, I'm your king, I will save you. I read a little clip out of a book called Wake Up Calls, written back in the early 1990s by a man named Ron Hutchcraft. A gathering of friends at an English estate nearly turned to tragedy when one of the children stayed into deep, step, strayed into deep water. The gardener heard the cries for help, plunged in, rescued the drowning child. That youngster's name was Winston Churchill. His grateful parents asked the gardener what they could do to reward him. He hesitated, but then he said, I wish my son could go to college someday and become a doctor. Churchill's parents said, we will see to it ourselves. Years later, Sir Winston Churchill was prime minister of England. He was stricken with pneumonia. The country's best physician was summoned. His name was Dr. Alexander Fleming, the man who discovered and developed penicillin. He was also the son of the gardener whom the Churchills had sent to school and the gardener who jumped in and saved Winston from drowning. And later on, Churchill remarked, rarely has one man owed his life twice to the same family. He needed rescuing twice. God in his sovereignty used the same family. And I got news for you. You need redemption and you need rescuing too. And there's only one person that can do it. It's Jesus Christ. He's the only Savior. Why is Jesus the only Savior? Well, just think about it. Tell me, is there another person out there who is the eternal Son of God, who has no beginning? I know of none but Jesus. Is there any 
other savior out there that was born of a virgin, consequently free from a sinful nature beside Jesus, I know of none. Is there anybody who was tempted in all ways like we are, yet never sinned? Hey, look at me. Muhammad sinned. Buddha sinned. Jesus was tempted in all ways like us, but he never sinned. Is there anybody who ever died on the cross, not for his sins, but for your sins as an atoning sacrifice? No other person's done that for you. There's only one. His name is Jesus. Is there anybody who was buried, but then didn't stay in that grave, but rose from the dead, never to die again? Is there anybody like that that you know of? No, there's only one. His name is Jesus. Is there anybody who appeared to his apostles during those 40 days and then was ascended back to heaven? I don't know of anybody except Jesus. Is there anybody right now who is preparing heaven for you besides Jesus? I know of none. Is there anybody out there pardoning lost people when they repent of their sins and believe in Jesus? I don't know of anybody except Jesus. Is there anybody out there who's praying for you right now to the Father, a perfect prayer to keep you in your salvation? I know of none who intercedes on our behalf before the Father in heaven except Jesus. And is there anybody besides Jesus who's coming back to take us into his heavenly home? I know of none except Jesus. I'm telling you, Jesus is not the best way to heaven. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He's the only way to God. There's no other Savior. No other Savior. John 1, 4, in him was life. Jesus and the life was the light of men. Jesus said to them, John 6, 35, I am the bread, and the definite article is there, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. 1 Timothy 2, 5 sums it up. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Put it down plain. Put it down straight. The only Savior who can redeem you is Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ. Would you receive him today? Would you repent of your sins? Turn from your sins? It doesn't mean you promise you'll never sin. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is just saying, Lord, I've messed up. I've sinned. I've fallen short of your glory. I've messed up. I've sinned. I've broken your laws. I deserve punishment, but I want grace. I repent. I don't want to keep walking my way. I want to turn. I want to do a U-turn. I want to turn to you. I want, Lord, I turn to you and I, I do repent. And I believe, Jesus, that you didn't just die for the sins of all people. You died for my sins. You paid the penalty for me. And you rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. I believe that. And I receive you. Come into my life. Save me, Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever done that? Would you do it right now? Let's don't even bow our heads. Why should we bow our heads over this? Just get saved right here, right now. Pray to the Lord. If you want to look up, that's fine. If you want to bow your head, you do whatever you want to do. But just say, dear Lord Jesus, I want you as my Savior. I repent. I turn from my sin. I'm sorry for my sin.
I turn to you. You're the only Savior. You're it. And I believe you died and paid the penalty for my sin. And I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you're alive. And I receive you right now. I call on your name. Save me right now. Lord Jesus. Let's give God praise for anybody that just prayed that. Amen. Amen. Could we read it one more time? Isaiah 33, 22. You've about got it memorized, haven't you? Doesn't take long. Read it with me. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved.